recording. All right. There you go. Now, the real, the real bitch is how if I got to figure out via my phone how to take the audio from this and then upload it to Podbean. That's going to be that's going to be the bitch. Yes, that's that's always the trick, dude. Yeah, I'm going to have to consult with people much uh, more savvy than I am at this. Dude, how you like these fucking cool-ass damn gamer? Dude, I thought that was like leopard pattern. No, nigga, hold on. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like that's like some like Israeli BDU stuff. I don't know what it is. But it's like anyway, the British camo? Yeah, I think so, something like that. Welcome to the Just F and Send It podcast. We have our first guest. Our first guest is the one and only Mike Chewbacca Minchaka. <laughs> Mike from Mile High Shooting and the Everyday Sniper, of course, right? <laughs> Look, I would go into like a big detail thing about you, but I, there's, I guarantee you there is nobody listening to this podcast that does not already know who you are via the everyday sniper. So there's no point. So everyone knows who Mike from Mile High is. That, that shit's crazy to me too, man. I mean, it was just like <clears throat> something that <laughs> it, it, it like spiraled out of control very, very fast. And I was like, Oh my God, something's happening. And it still kind of weirds me out. Sometimes I get phone calls and stuff and people are like, the mic and that just kind of like it makes yeah it it makes me blush a little bit you know because i'm like uh well i'm the only mic that works here so yeah you know according to mile high i'm the mic you know yeah the only mic that works here so you're not gonna get any other ones right oh man let me tell you something congratulations i've already we've already spoken since the you know the honorary episode on the one million downloads but downloads i would like to take this time to extend from one podcast to another congratulations on on breaking the pod bean for there's no well i ain't gonna say nobody because it ain't gonna be me but i will say as far as precision rifle goes i don't know of many people that are gonna hit that million mark but i think i think phil and kaylin may very well do yeah, that too definitely probably break it way like in a record-breaking in, time in a, yeah, a quicker fashion than you guys. Well, and and I will say this. I mean, I love Phil is a good buddy of mine. I love Phil to death. Um, but I will say this. Me, I'm trying to get this fucking phone set up to where because I've got my charger cable and my headphones cable like plugged in, and of course Samsung wants to go into the bottom of the damn phone, so it's a fucking pain in the ass. I'm trying to like if I move, it's gonna fall probably. Um. Shit, I got fucking notifications. Anyway, those guys and myself and every other precision rifle podcast out there available on the internet, we all kind of got, I guess you'd say, a leg up because of you and Frank. Um, y'all guys really kind of set the bar. You definitely set the bar, but you also kind of blazed the trail, if I if I could say. In, you know, in, there, there was other there was other podcasts. I appreciate you saying all that stuff, man. It, it you know, it's it's really cool to be a part of that whole project and um, kind of move forward. It's like it's always well, it like your brainchild. Kind of, I mean, it was you know, your it was your baby, you know. I just yeah, and I had to find the right person to do it, and I'm I'm lucky enough to have you know Frank Galley 
Um, you know, he's got a very big voice. And I figured, I was like, man, if anybody's going to do it and make it successful, he's a very tenacious little man. And <laughs> in order to make it successful, Frank, you know, you know, Frank's got to be a part of it. And if not, you know, spearhead the whole operation. And he took the ball, ran with it. And uh, I, I, I honestly didn't think it was going to be what it was. Because looking at the other podcast at the time when we started, it was like, okay, yeah, they got like 300 subscribers, you know, and, you know, 10,000, you know, downloads or something like that. And I was like, I don't know, man, I think we can beat that. And then, you know, the first day it was like 150. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going we gonna to beat this. And then, um, you know, it just kind of grew from there. Everybody, you know, it's the listeners that drove it forward. It's not like we have good material. We try to keep it fresh and try to come up with good ideas and, you know, things to talk about. And the the people that we're able to talk about it with, you know, we have access to is really nice. You know, and it's really easy to talk to them. It comes from two separate directions, too. It comes from your uh influence and, and connections at mile high everyone that shoots and and buys anything from mile high which i bought a lot from you guys including my axe international uh which thanks for the hookup on that uh go see yeah. mike at mile high if you want your axe international um but also uh frank given what he, <laughs> yeah um, i don't even remember the phone number if i knew the phone number top of my head dude i would fucking drop that shit right there <laughs> like i did three two five five nine 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 Members FDIC, <laughs> but um, no, it, but Frank also, of course, because of, well, Frank's been in this game since really the beginning down there in rifles only. And, uh, and also yeah, Frank knows where the bodies are buried in this whole precision rifle game. Yes. You know? Every He's skeleton in game. everybody's closet. Yep. Yeah. And you know, people will trust him with information and he, he, you know, he drives people in the right direction and he's, you know, a lot of companies have made their name off of Sniper's Hide and Frank Galley and his ideas and stuff like that, which is, you know, Seekins, super nice. Of, you know, Seekins, Glenn Seekins and Seekins Precision. I mean, they were, I mean, Frank talks about it in one of the Everyday Sniper podcasts, how uh, he remembers when when Glenn wanted to get something together and basically did kind of a group buy when he was first getting his feet wet in this and, I mean, look at Seekins Precisions now. Now, everyone knows who the fuck Seekins is. People who aren't even in the precision rifle world know who Seekins is because of their their uh, small frame ARs. I mean, yeah, they make phenomenal weapons. F- dude, baller. I mean, as far as gas guns go, dude, I, I don't know if I was going to build. Let's say I was shooting mammoth and I was I want to take like a, a two, two, three gas gun or something like that. There ain't nobody else. I, I mean, JP's up there too, but I mean, Seekins is the, my opinion, is the the hallmark for precision small frame and large frame ARs for, you know, and they got their feet wet and, and really got their their jump off of Sniper's Hide. So that's, you know, Sniper's Hide is, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's a hub, dude. It is a, a wealth really, of information. It is, and um, you know, you know, you and you and Frank have got connections on on both sides to where anybody that anybody would want to listen to and get their opinions on, they're a literal phone call away for the both of you, you know, which is which is really cool and says a lot, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's 
that either I'm one of you make myself available. You know, I give out my email, I give out the phone number and everything like that. I make myself available because, you know, there's, you know, we got stuff going on and people are, you know, trying to get their hands on quality equipment. And my mentality in this whole thing, like I've bought so many things over and over and over again, where it just comes down to, you know, I'm going to help you find the right thing. Cause I've been down that path, man. I got a, you know, basement full of parts, you know, just like everybody listening to this and, and you, you can't, you can't ever get rid of this shit. It's right. like you try to trade it in, you get half of what it was valued at in the first place. So you're buying high to sell low and it's just a pain in the ass. And yeah. uh, I try to alleviate some of that with, a, you know, a, like I have a bias opinion about a lot of things, but I well, try to find the direction that you're that you're trying to go. Like, so let's say you're hunting. Well, I want a hunting rifle and a precision rifle. Well, it's not the same fucking thing, dude. No, that's a hammer and a screwdriver. I mean. You're not going to do the same, use the same tool for both. Now, th- there are there are guns out there that can serve the purpose of both, but you're you're still gonna uh, you're gonna sacrifice on one or both, right? Yes. Sure. Yeah. There's there's a rifle that yes, I could go shoot a match with, and then the very next weekend go on like uh, a trophy, you know, elk hunt or something like that. But it's either not going to be as good of a hunting rifle as you could have. And or it's not going to be as good of a, a match rifle you're going to have. That's just the 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 way the way it rolls. You know, it's just it. That's why they're two separate. That's why we're not all running around uh, shooting matches with you know your typical uh, like McMillan game warden stock. No, because it doesn't lend itself in its best uh, fashion for what we're doing. And the same thing with hunting. I'm not running around with a freaking uh, uh, MDT ACC that's loaded out with weights to go, you know, trekking up the mountains for a damn, you know, bighorn or something like that. You yeah, know? You need for the task. Yeah, exactly. So if you're just wanting to dabble in one or the other, yeah, you can find a rifle that'll do both. But if you're serious I'm, about either or, you need to get the tool that's for that specific job. Caliber, uh, chassis, stock, barrel contour. Uh, the scope, everything, it, you, it's, and that's on both sides, you know. Yeah, even bipods are a big deal nowadays, man. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, I don't want to disappoint, man. You want to hear a funny story? Yes, I want to hear a funny story. So uh, you probably saw my fo- uh, my uh, my post on Facebook about playing Mario Kart. So I'm a a lot. Of, <laughs> maybe some people don't know I'm a I'm a pretty big gamer. I have like set times on the weekends. I hook up with my buddies and then we go da- you know take down a couple of cities or something like that. Right now we're wrapped up in the division two, and uh, it goes right alongside with you know what's going on right now in the world. So that's pretty nice. I already got my computer-based training out of the way. But uh, aside from that, I got. Well, my motherfucking CBTs. So well, um, we'll talk about so, that too. In a minute. Yeah. So I'm playing Mario Kart 64 with my two daughters, Maddie and Rio, and we. Uh, it's funny because my daughter Maddie, she's like 19, and she and when I got a 64, I was like, yeah, you guys want to play some Mario Kart? And she's like, Psh, I grew up on Mario Kart. I was like, Psh, I grew up on Mario Kart. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh we're playing the uh the battle portion and i'm sitting on top of the block fort and i'm just raining red shell hate on everybody nah. and they're just, they're just soaking it up right and um i ended up winning 
and I tossed my controller on the ground and uh, my daughter, off her. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even have to say anything. And uh, my daughter Rio is such a poor loser that she goes, she dead face looks at me and goes, I'm going to go upstairs and tell mommy that you called me the B word. Oh no, she's blackmailing you, bro. <laughs> so you cannot be mad at that. You'd be like, you're right, bitch. Like you got me. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> I taught you well. So I told her, I said, go upstairs and tell her. So she stomps up the stairs, right? Goes into the living room. Cause we're doing all this down in the basement. I got all a little game central kind of set up down there. She goes upstairs and then uh, my wife comes to the door and she opens up the door and she's like, hey, language. And I said, I did not call her a bitch. But she is acting like a little bitch right now. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted it. You got it. (laughs) But It's funny because they, you know, when they when they hear me say that, I'm like. You know, it's not that you're a bitch, like I'm calling you a girl or something like that. I'm, I'm just saying you're acting like, you know, just like a little bitch, you know, like back in the 90s. It was like it wasn't necessarily. A, like, how do you explain what we mean? I know what you mean, but how do you explain to a kid what you mean when it's taking a word that means one thing and yet you're applying it in a way that we all do and to where a, a, a kid can understand? Like, oh, like, I got you. Like, what do you say? No, I mean, you're being a pussy. Well, yeah, that's the same thing, <laughs> you know. Right. No, and it's like, you know, terminology from, you know, like growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was like, you know, you say something like, I don't want to do that. That's gay. Now it's like something totally different. Stop being a fag. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. You know, you'd yeah. say that stuff and it was OK. But now it's like, you know, there's like a hate group against you if you even, you know, say the G word. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And look, we've got we've got uh, me and Courtney. We have a, a friend as um, actually it's a mutual friend that I knew through somebody else. And the first like three times that I hung out with the dude, his name was Antone. I didn't know he was gay. Antoine. <laughs> yeah, no, Antone. He's actually he looks white. He's like a nerdy white guy, but he's he claims. Now, this is before uh, uh, identifying as something else was cool. This was back like this was back 2008. Uh, he was all about like the Native American indigenous people thing, like the Bama. When I now when I found out he made like indigenous like Native American jewelry, I was like, oh yeah, this dude's gay. Oh, like, that, that makes sense. Before that, yeah. So he was all like Native American up, whatever. But the dude could dance. Like I'm talking about like pop and lock, break dance. Like the dude was. Followed, take him to the club, dude. He cleared the whole floor out. Dude was gangster with it, right? Well, I met, I knew Antone through a, a dude that, I, another dude, and then he knew Courtney, and then me and Courtney met, and then we found out that we knew the same dude, Antone, and so I said, Antone, hey, dude, hey, you gotta talk me up, man. Like you gotta, you know, whatever, put a good word. He said, I promise you, if it was not for that man. Back in 2008, I would not be married to the woman I'm married to now. But anyway, but I get all that. What to, to say that even he would be like, quit being a fag. Like, he was just gay, like straight up, like a full on homo, like cool ass dude. Like, Anton was my homie. But he'd be tell somebody, like, dude, you're being, you're being a fag right now. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just it, got caught. You know, it has nothing to do with that. And it's it's so funny because like you can't uh, do that now, Mike. You can't do that now. It's twenty yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> for her to say some shit like that, dude, I was like, I was kind of proud of her. She was like, All right, you wanna beat me at this? I'm gonna go get you in trouble. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I don't know something. how, but get you. Yeah, in her, in her mind, that was going to be like the ultimate trump card. She was about to throw down. It's like she had the ace of spades, dropping down heat. Boom. I'm going to tell mommy, you call me the B word, biatch. <laughs> <laughs> now, if she would have said that, it would have been like, yeah, see, that's how you do it. Right, that's how you shit talk. Exactly. I'm proud of you. Look, I'm going to give you some extra dessert tonight because <laughs> of some shit like that. I'm proud of you, baby. But yeah, I'm not yeah. going to let you beat me in Mario Kart. That's just not yeah, happening. I'm, I'm trying to step my son Jackson. I'm trying to step his shit talking game up. Well, and he's getting pretty good. He's four, but he's getting pretty good. He's he's got a huge vocabulary. Like he'll say some shit. I'm like, what did you say? Like, how did you even know that word? Like, that's crazy. At four years old, I couldn't even I couldn't even sound that bitch out. Like, and now he's dropping like huge words. I wish I had like examples of shit he said, but like, I'm like, damn dog, where'd you learn that? That's that's impressive, right? But I'm I'm trying to it's step lifting, up his. Man. They're, they're little sponges. Yeah, I know, and I'm like, do you, I don't know. I'll say, Jax, do you even know what that means? And he'll give me like a four-year-old. Or I wouldn't even say four. I'd say like a a seven-year-old's definition of a word. I'm like, that's right. Like, yeah, you I'm got glad it. I'm all this money for school for damn daycare for something because they're teaching the shit out of you dog. Know? So, but uh, yeah, so I, he's getting pretty good, but I, I don't have any cool stories I can come off the top of my head, but man, he's, he's getting pretty good at a shit talking game. He'll like, you'll throw down like that and stuff like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 he's all, all stacking like the essays. Oh, yeah. He'll bow up. Like he'll bow up. Like we're, like he's all into Beyblades and shit. You know what? You know what that is. You got two girls. You know what Beyblades are? I don't know what Beyblades are. Babe, all right. And I hate that they're called bays because of like bay, the whole that whole stupid term bay. But anyway, they're called B E Y Bay Blades. Well, they're basically Japanese. It's an anime, a Japanese anime cartoon, kind of like Pokemon. So yeah. they it's actually the same premise as Pokemon, where like you got them and then you battle them, right? Well, these are like basic like tops. Like a normal, like old, like a dreidel, right? But it's got a rip cord, and you rip the cord, and then you, they're in a little arena, and they spin, and they fucking fight, and they one of them blows up or some shit like that. So he's like, boom! Like he jumps all gets crazy and shit. <laughs> so he's like, in your face, daddy! <laughs> I can't wait till he starts shooting dice. Tell you something. <laughs> He's like, you bursted me. That's like the thing. It's like you try to burst them. Like that's where the Beyblades burst into pieces, right? And you put them all together and do it again. But that's like the ultimate win is when you burst the other one. So right. it's uh, yeah, it he's he's all into that shit, and it's it's so fun to to play with him doing that and shit talk and fight. We fight and like wrestle. And I drop the people's elbow on him, and he loves me. <laughs> It's fun, but yeah, he's he's a competitive little turd, man. Like he's straight up, he'll get mad, be like, "All right, put his game face on and shit." And like he don't realize I'm watching. I'm like, "Yo, this dude's getting turned up right now. Like he's getting turned up. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen." It, it takes a certain personality to kind of raise a kid and everything. And um, you know, when before Rio was born, I was like, "Man, I don't even want kids. I don't want to deal with that. I want to have an income because they just steal your money, dude. They're like little bank robbers, you know." And 
kick-ass homie, like your buddy that's never got money, that you like take him to dinner and shit, and you feel bad, and you like pay for his food or buy drinks for him. He's like you're a broke-ass best friend. That's what he is. And he ain't got shit. I mean, he's like a broke-ass homie. That's all he is. And and I have to explain to people, like I, I like people who have new kids and stuff. They're like. Oh yeah, you know they're they're two years old, this that and the other thing, and and you know they're really starting to talk back, but it'd only be for a year, and I'm like, nah, son, that's called the terrible twos. I mean, it's two years of hell, dude. Uh, no, and it's I, funny you said that because literally this whole we're gonna get into the coronavirus shit in a minute, but this whole coronavirus shit has got like daycares closed. Like I'm literally thinking about punting this little motherfucker across my yard, and and I look like we finally got him to bed. He was fighting going to bed because he's been out of school, all this stuff, and he don't want to go to sleep. I'm like, Courtney, you remember we thought the twos were terrible? She's like, yes. I said, I'll take two years old any day over this shit because he can actually talk to back and tell me exactly what he thinks. You know, it was just, you know, a, a no when he was two. Now it's like, no, I'm going to do this because you said that. And I don't want to. I'm like, dude, I'm about to smack you, man. Like, look. You better check yourself for your rickety rickety wreck yourself, because that's about <laughs> on me. And Some and I talked to him. I talked to him literally just like that. I don't I don't baby my son I, even when he was a baby. I didn't talk to him all baby talking. No, I talked to him at a year old or two years old exactly how I'm talking to you. Right, less profanity, but I'm talking right. to him just like I'm talking to you now. And I think that may be why he's got such a big vocabulary. He can hold a conversation with anybody. Like literally, you two, you two could do a podcast. Seriously, he's four. I mean, well, yeah, he wouldn't be able to sit in front of the phone long enough. But yeah, when you start talking to kids, like baby talking stuff like that, they think that's how you're supposed to talk. So they start to mimic that kind of stuff, and and that's what I think messes up a lot of speech patterns in kids. You know, I go to my um, I go to my daughter's school and drop her off every morning when school's in session, and you know, she she has a lot of those friends that have that you know. Woo, 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 you know, kind of speech, you oh. know? Yeah. So I think uh, talking to your kids like you would talk to anybody else is is uh, crucial to their vocabulary development. Absolutely. I get, look, when Jax was, I mean, two, people are like, he's how old? I say he's two. Like, like, we could talk. We could hang out. Like, he's talking to me like an adult. I said, that's because that's I'm, how I'm talking to you right now. So I talk to him. They're like, wow. I was like, look, I don't – there's no point in doing that goo-goo bullshit. I mean, it – look, like you said, they are sponges. So they're going to absorb everything they get. And so, I, I, you know, I've always had the mindset of treating him to be developed. Right. Like treating him how I want to turn or talking to him, how I want him to turn out talking. And I mean, it's the same thing. Look, it's funny. People be like, they're going to shake their head because they don't know no better. But any of my dog folks listen to this right now, raising kids is so similar to raising working dogs. You establish the relationship. There's just so many parallels, dude. I, I could go on all night of the parallels between raising a working dog or really any dog, but Obviously, people who work dogs, train dogs, know how, even if it's not a working dog, how to, you know, raise any dog, right, the right way. For how the behaviors you want them, the way you want them to be as an adult dog, that all starts when they're puppies. And it's the same thing with kids. 
you want them to be a certain way when they are where they're an adults. I want Jax to be a very well spoken and I'm not gonna say like a, a freaking church mouse, but I'm saying that, that he can he can turn the switch on and have a, a very intellectual conversation with somebody when the time and then he can go talk shit with his homies after after that, right? Well, I, I start that development early. You know, I, I want him to be ahead of his peers and everything. And it really all starts. He can't read yet. Now, he knows all of his letters and he knows sight words and 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 stuff like that. But when it comes to reading, he doesn't obviously he doesn't know. But the thing is that the what they can start learning now at this stage in this age is speech. Right. That's something that they're going to hear all the time. and They pick up naturally. If I went and moved to Mexico, I know which I know. OK, I moved to, you know, China. Don't know a lick of damn Chinese or Mandarin or anything like that. I could over a year, if I'm not dead from coronavirus, then I could probably pick up Chinese, you know, or Mandarin or whatever. So that's uh, and that's the thing because I don't know it, but I hear it and I start associating everything. I learn it. It's the same thing with not only just how to speak as far as what words are, but also learning words that he doesn't use every day. Well, he only knows them because he heard them. And, right. and maybe put together what the context was, right? And I'm like, you. He'll say some word, and I'm like, you know, you actually use that in the correct context. Like you act, that was right. Like, I'm, I'm pretty impressed right now. But there's times yeah. he'll drop a word. I'm like, no, no, that's not what that means. Like, no, that's that's not the right word. You'll you'd use this word here instead of that. And I and I correct him, and I point. Him, and then he goes and repeats me. I'm like, exactly. And then a month later, he'll drop the same line in a different conversation. I'm like, exactly. You got it. That's I remember now. I remember you said that, and we fixed it. All right. You know. And they are so. They're so. Kids are so smart. People don't. Pay, you know, think about, you know, all that kids can pick up, man. I mean, what my wife does for a living, uh, she she uh, works for the teddy bear clinic, which is basically where uh, they they see children from, well, little kids all the way up to 17 years old who have either been uh, physically abused, sexually abused, uh, um, mentally abused, you know, all that stuff. They she, they see them and what they do is they interview them on camera and then they're called forensic interviewers and they use that footage in court against the perp, whether it be a stranger, whether it be an uncle or a parent or a grandparent or a, a grandparent's boyfriend or something like that. You know, that's that's what they use. And you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that. Oh, and, and before she did this, she worked on the psych unit adult psych unit at the hospital for 11 years. Well, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that these people as children were exposed to that their parents had no idea, like let's say something really graphic or whatever. And it almost like planted a seed. And then it grew out of that into some either weird mental uh, disability where it'd be like schizophrenia or, or some type of paranoia or like hypersexuality or at a young age, like four years old, humping everything, leaving dick cheese over the couch or whatever, you know, who knows, like all for some weird shit that they were exposed to at a young age. People don't realize that, Hey, just because, you know, your kid maybe not be watching some whatever movie or show with you doesn't mean they're not seeing it and they're not being affected by it. So that's why like, you know, now Jack's now his favorite movie when he was two years old was freaking Jurassic Park. Was Bama's getting eaten by goddamn dinosaurs and shit. But I'm not gonna sit and watch Pulp Fiction with his ass. Right. 
know what I'm saying? <laughs> go watch Hostel with them. You know what I'm saying? You know, no, I'm not right. Yeah, I'm not gonna watch. You know, uh, freaking Bedford Housewives or whatever with them. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know how we got on the subject. Oh yeah, your cool story about your about uh, Rio. Um, okay for everybody who didn't uh, well nobody was there i don't know if i mentioned on the podcast or not but me and mike talked on the phone what was it two two weeks ago three weeks ago it was a couple weeks ago we talked for like over two hours i think when i got on the phone with mike he was on he was starting tequila drink number two and then by the end of the conversation, it was tequila drink number five, and Mike was about as good a fart. And uh, we talked for two hours, and if we we kept saying like, if I had somehow recorded this damn conversation, this would be like an epic ass podcast, and because we were just just riffing it, and it was it was a hilarious conversation. And yeah, dude, it was like it was it was from point A to point B, back to point A to point Z, back to Q. Hey, I mean, it was, my life, man. That's the way I live my life every day. It, my inside my head is actually probably a pretty scary place for everybody else. But um, uh, yeah. So we, in fact, Mike kept asking me, was like, "Are you sure you're not recording this?" Like, no, Mike, I don't have the ability to record this conversation. I got, <laughs> I got mad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. There's some there's some shit that people will be like. I cannot believe this motherfucker right here. Yeah, and look, and I will say this too, and I, I was not putting that on blast, but there was some, definitely some shit said that did not need to be on a podcast from either one of us. So <laughs> it's, it's a good thing I didn't have, I wasn't able to record that. But other than those things, if I did edit shit and edited those parts out, man, the the podcast would have been killer. But um, I did tell I did tell you that whenever we did this first podcast, that I wanted you to tell the story about Egypt. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so I get a Facebook message, uh, from this dude. I'm not, I'm not going to put his name out there or anything. I think he's still active, but, uh, I get this, uh, Facebook message from this dude and he's like, Hey man, I got some questions about wind. And I was like, perfect. You know, you, if you got some time, you know, hit me up, you know, around these times or whatever. And he was like, well, I'm kind of, um, sorry. Apparently there's a bunch of shit going on outside here. I just um, right now that in case everybody's wondering the reason why this goes to show mike don't know this motherfucker from adam's dog and yet he knew that mike was the man to go to about calling wind because that is your bitch that is your forte is calling wind you are the wind god sir well and yeah i can i can tell a story about that and kind of how i developed that skill but uh, this dude, he's like, yeah, I can't, you know, call it these times because one, I'm in Egypt and two, you know, I'm doing some shit. And I was like, OK, cool. Well, you know, hit me up when you can. It was during. A bit. What's that? You see his picture on his Facebook profile, right? Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. He was a cracker ass white dude. And he's yeah. saying he's in Egypt. <laughs> You're like, what yeah. the fuck? I was like, OK, I know. I know what's going on here. So, uh, yeah, he calls me up and he, and, uh, he called me via Facebook. And we talked probably for about 45 minutes or so. And he got his stuff all lined out and kind of gave him some, you know, cues and some hints and everything like that. And he was like, oh, it's that easy. 
I was like, yeah. He was like, I was like, what are you up to? And he was like, I got to go. So I don't know if, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody's birthday got canceled or something like that, but shit happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you did go into a little more detail. I know you probably don't want to go into too much more detail, uh, but there was some more detail in the first rendition of that story that made it hilarious. <laughs> it's like, hold on one second. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the wind call. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> so you actually had him take a picture or, or video or a picture of his kestrel for you to see what he was looking at, right? Yeah. So we kind of went down the whole, we went down the Castrol, we went down the Ford off. We, you know, we explored all kind of all the options and got everything to line up properly. And then, uh, you know, I just kind of gave him like, Hey, if you're, so you wanted to make it to where it was like you were there so that you could give him the most accurate advice that you could give him, given that you were, you know, 8,000 miles, I don't know how far it is from fucking Colorado, damn Egypt, but uh, away from him and give him the, the, to try to replicate that spotter shooter type uh, scenario as good as you could being thousands of miles away from him. Right. Well, and, and from my side, all I'm trying to do is help, man. That help is always free to somebody. You know what I mean? Like when we, you know, we pay for, we pay for a class or something like that. It's, repetition is what you're paying for. You know, you're paying for like the first, you know, I want to say like first four hours of the course that we put on is to get you in position that only takes 30 seconds. So -hmm. if we can detail that as much as possible and then show it to you and you understand the mechanics, then I can get everybody shooting in the same direction one. And then two, I can get those groups as small as possible and I can work with an inch group. I can, you know, I can work with it, you know, half inch group, whatever. And, you know, getting those groups the way I need them so that I go, okay, well, when we shoot at 800 yards, I know you're, you're going to do this so that I can predict where that shot's going to fall. Yeah. Think about that. dude. If you can shoot one MOA all the way out, you're going to win every match you shoot. Yeah, if you want to win every match, man, just hit every target. It should be that easy, right? Yeah, right. But no, but seriously, if you shot one MOA, and, and I'm guilty of it too in reloading and, 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 and doing load development and stuff where I'm like, man, that's a half inch, but I think I could get it, you know, smaller than that. And then instead of me just taking that, all right, I got good velocity, I got a good uh, extreme spread. Uh, yeah, the groups might get a lot, a little bit tighter, dude. If I shot a half MOA all the way out, I'm never missing a target, and I'm gonna win every damn uh, match that I shoot. Period. So when, like you said, one MOA, one inch, people scoff at one inch nowadays because of what our rifle systems are capable of. But in all reality, one inch at a hundred, two inches at two hundred, three at three, and so on and so forth, bro. That's, I mean. If you can keep that moving, 10 inches at 1,000, when was the last time you shot a match legit to where it, the target at 1,000 was smaller than 10 inches? I can't uh, remember. No, no, that's not a very common thing. And, you know, right. it's it, – it, it's wind. Yeah, and, and it comes down to who can call the best wind. Right. Yeah, because we're you know, all – All that inch stuff, all that inch stuff is based on a prone position oh, that yeah. you're – practicing in so like you're you're lucky nowadays to find a uh, a prone position uh in a match yeah 
Well, and now see, they're you know, given it that that's very true, but it's also depending on where you are as well. Like what well, kind and it, and it de- and it depends on how the the uh, match director defines you know the course of fire, and he's like, okay, well, this is going to be a belly match. We should have some really high scores. Yeah, unless it's 35 mile an hour wind switching up and everything like that. Like that's what them Oklahoma boys do. You know, they got them troop lines, you know, down pat as much as anybody because they shoot so many troop lines, prone troop lines with that 20, 25, sometimes 30 plus mile an hour winds. And you guys get them up there at the range up there in Colorado. Y'all get, I mean, I've seen a lot of Frank's videos and hear a bunch of you and him talking about the wind up there. I mean, y'all can tell driving to the range what kind of day y'all are going to have by just looking at the damn – y'all got y'all got wind socks on the highway. That, yep. You don't have that shit. You, I ain't never seen that before, dude. I'm in North Carolina. I ain't never seen shit like that because we just don't deal with that. You know? Well, and that so, was kind of the primary reason why I was like, dude, I got to figure out this wind stuff because it takes me an hour and a half to get there and an hour and a half to get home. That's three hours out of my day where – if I drive out there and, oh, God, it's too windy. All right, fuck this. I'm going home. That's three hours. I could have been doing something else. You're living in it. So, I mean, it's it's, it's part of your reality. You know what I'm saying? Is that you're you're living in that. Now, if my country ass went out there, I wouldn't know what to fucking do. Oh, if my Kessel didn't tell me, I'm like, God damn, I don't know, 35 mile an hour, that's, that's nuts, you know? And it's, I'm not living in it, so it's not my reality. But y'all, that's what y'all deal with all the time out there. And so, and that's why, like, if you came, you know, here, your our matches would look a lot different than probably what you guys shoot, because we don't have to deal with that. We don't, we you, and you can't create it. It's not like there's some you know big ass dude with a blanket, you know, making a wind on the side of the range or whatever, you know, or big, signals pushing in, turn, yeah. yeah, turning the fans on or whatever. But it's, uh, you know, so the master directors here have to accommodate for the lack of wind. And we put you, like, tie you into a pretzel shooting upside down, you know, 12 shots, 90 seconds. You know, and it's, we have to combat it in different ways. And that's what, that's one reason why my hat's off to a lot of the guys that, a lot of the bigger name shooters uh, in, in the sport that do a lot of traveling. Mm-hmm. Well, they're a champion. They're a champion because they have shot. Oh. All over. Well, they, they, they've shot all over. So they've came to, I mean, we'll just take John Pinch, for example. Um, he came to North Carolina last year and ran the fucking train on all of us. You know, now he's from Oregon. He came to all him and Dave Preston, both Dave Preston. Now, Dave Preston is solid as shit. Uh, they they came out there and put on a goddamn clinic. And on our home turf, they came out and put on a fucking clinic. And they are all shooting in the Midwest. They're all shooting in. They came to the Southeast. They go to the Northwest. They go to Cali, Colorado. They're hitting them all up, and they're shooting in all of those conditions. And that's there's something to be said about that. It's not a, a home that's cooking type thing. You know? Tons of training. Uh, tons. Of, there's tons of money wrapped up in all that stuff. I mean, th- those guys are no joke, man. Like. I don't Honestly. like shooting, man. I don't, I don't have to yeah. worry about being against them because no. I'm not even in that bracket. Like yeah. on my best day, I'm in the top quarter, but yeah. I mean, like I don't, I don't shoot all the time. Yeah. Yeah. My, so. my best finish was 20th. That's my best finish I've had is fucking 20th. Um, and it's, 
and I don't live there. No, <laughs> don't think it's around 20, 25. No, no, no. And it's not normally living there, but no, right. So it's all in and all in what you want to get out of it. It's what obviously what you're going to put in it. Right. I've, I've always said this, this uh, quoted this old adage of don't be disappointed in the results you got from the lack of effort you put in. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not out there, hammering, you know, a uh, hundred rounds a week and traveling all over shit and then uh i'm not doing that so i can't expect to do that and if i wanted to do that i would have to do all that so if i wanted to start winning shit and i wanted to start being that big name in the sport and all that stuff i would it would be required of me to do the same things they do i'm no no i'm no different than anybody i'm no more special than anybody i can't just wake up oh, you know what i want to top five every match this year and then do it it's not going to happen no, because I don't put in the work for it, and I just I haven't developed the skill that comes along with that you develop when putting in that work, right? It's not just putting the rounds on range. You're developing a damn skill. I haven't done that yet and don't know if I ever will to that degree, and if I don't, then that's fine by me. I have fun doing it. I'm a better shooter every year. That's what I care about, you know, and I'm having a damn good time doing it, you know? That, yeah, that's what it's about for me. It, people that kind of drive the whole thing and like we we go up to Craig every year and shoot the mile high shootout. It's a big match that we sponsor, and uh, Rob Quigley puts on a good stuff. And you guys have heard me talk about it and everything. But I go up there with like six of my friends, and that's like our Vegas weekend. So we don't have to go to Vegas. We go shooting up in the mountains, and we have a good time. We roll around in a ranger, you know, talk shit to each other while we're shooting. We don't really care about scores that much. We're just there to have fun. This. It's this. It's the cold beers afterwards. What makes the match, whether you shoot bad or you shoot good, what makes the whole trip worth it, man? I love it. Cold when I go, stories. Is it what? It's like cold beers and stories. Uh, yeah, telling lies, man. Cold beers and telling lies, dude. I love it. And uh, like if if you if anybody has listened has ever shot a match uh, that the same match that I have, there's a good chance either I talk to you or. Uh, you saw me talking to a bunch of people because that's when I get to see my people. Like I only see them at matches. Yeah, we talk on Facebook and shit like that, but it's not the same. You know, we go and that's when we get to have that. We get to bro down and and have a good time and talk shit and laugh about the laughs and everything. And and, and to to my own dismay, it that actually affects my shooting because I do that during the damn match too. I'm not drinking beer even though I. I I've begged to Paul to let me drink beer while I shoot, but it ain't never happening. But uh, no, like it's I, I'm I'm always like, oh shit, I'm up. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I've been talking about something stupid, telling a joke over here, and it's my turn to shoot. You know? So, yeah, you walk up, ropes all fucked up. Yeah, you know, I don't even have a magazine. Way fucked up. Like, yeah, that's me. I am literally a fuckered up mess, like a damn soup sandwich most times. You know? And you know, I I can't have nobody to blame but me for that. You know, if you know what would help me if I purposely squatted with a bunch of dudes, I don't know. But my social butterfly ass would get real real tight with them real quick by like stage three. And then I'm doing the same shit as I would if they were all of my buddies with me, you know, shooting. They all become my buddies. And that's what I love about this industry and this world is when you go and to these matches, that's who you're around, whether you know them or not. That's why I keep telling the new shooters that even if you know not a nair soul in this game you just want to get started in it 
that will change after your first match. You will make friends, and then you will see them again, and y'all will have jokes. Y'all will have good times, good stories, good conversations to talk about, and it will grow every time. I mean, it's like everybody's like, hey, Dad, what's up? You know, everybody, everyone, I'm sitting there, you know, getting my stuff ready for the morning, um, you know, right before the match. I don't have time to really do all, get all my shit together because I'm too busy, ass, you know, you know, playing grab ass with all the guys there. So, I mean, it's that's part of it, man. That's the one thing I love about it, you know? No, I totally agree. When uh, going back to the wind stuff, when uh, getting out to the range and it being windy as it is, you know, I'd shoot with a lot of different dudes and, you know, uh, a lot of good friends. And then I'd do a couple of local matches, um, you know, when I was first really looking into it, because I'm just like, my my game plan in the beginning is all right. I'm gonna hold left edge and then see where it goes and then or right edge or wherever. Yeah, yeah. You can get you can't get away with that where you're at. You can get away with that here. Yeah. So I'd go <laughs> off the smash and then I superimpose it onto the target and pull the trigger. But I and then it, you know I take that same wind hold to the next target and add a couple tenths to it and then you know go from there and like you know it was it was successful to a degree. Because it wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do, but it got me by. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna start asking people. Hey, what, I see you hitting a lot. What's your win game? And you know, and the most popular answer was at the time was Kestrel, or you know, I shoot a very fast cartridge, so I don't really have to worry too much about the wind. You know, and that's where a lot of that came from. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go old school. I went from shooting a 243 to shooting Which a six. Dude. 243, that? That, that, a 243 ain't nothing to sneeze at, man. 243 is bitching, dude. There's nothing less accurate. Yeah, There's, the thing is screaming, dude. A 243, the bullet's screaming. Mm-hmm. You know, that, there's not much more of a faster cartridge for a 6 mil out there than anybody's shooting, and it's been around for fucking forever. That was my first rifle as a kid was a 243, you know, and yeah. it's, it's a bitching round. And shooting that, I mean, that's what, you know, Adam was like, all right, dude, this is what you're shooting. And he taught me how to reload for it. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, the six Creed became more appealing because I didn't have to load for it. And it was a very accurate, very fast round. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just swap to this. So I changed the barrel on my gun and, you know, went to town with that. And then really digging into, you know, playing in the wind, um, I just started looking at numbers and how everything just kind of, you know, worked together. Um, as far as, okay, well, if it's a left to right wind or a right to left wind. We have a lot of that on our range. You know, it's not a lot of tailwind and a lot, not a lot of headwind. It's like full force left or right. Right. So I was like, okay, well, let's find some, some numbers that co-align here. So I started, you know, really digging in, you know, to the numbers and everything like that. And, um, I started, you know, trying that out and I tried it out in a match where we, we did a 22 challenge. So I, saw, I shot a two, uh, a 224 Valkyrie. That's when you after- won, right? Yeah, and, and that was – I was testing my win theory on that. Like, I didn't really have anybody to go, okay, yeah, well, this is the BC method. This is, you know, this method. This is this method. Okay, well, I just figured out the data, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to shoot a 224 Valkyrie, and I was smoking people with sixes. I was smoking people with 338s and 300 wind mags, and I was like, dude, I think I think this works. I think this is yeah. the one. So then I went home and refined it and redid my data and looked at it again. And I was like, okay, yeah, this was, you know, this was all very accurate stuff. And, um, you know, I brought it to the course and that's, you know, when people come to see the show, when they come to a course, I I always call it a show because you're putting on a performance basically. 
And these guys want to see, or they want to, they want to know what it's like to shoot in that kind of wind. So that's how we set up our range. And then, you know, being able to spot for that. So when I looked at it from a six or a 224 um, standpoint, I was like, well, what about a 308? What about a six mil? What about a 338? What about a 300? And that's when I started relating uh, miles per hour to mills. And I was like, oh, dude, I can do this all day. I just need to know what you're shooting. And then I can give you what I would, you know, consider a wind call for me to hit. So, yeah. and, and that's really where it all started. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been good. So it, it works. So I just keep using it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that, like you said, you're talking, you're talking in miles an hour. But it doesn't matter if everybody's on the same system. It doesn't matter what you're shooting. You know, because you're not correlating wind corrections for that caliber. You're you're correlating wind corrections for that mile an hour. So they can right. they'll know the, their hold is going to be dip, maybe different from your hold, but you're still talking the same language. And if everybody got on that program, which I don't know, maybe where you guys are, where you deal with wind a lot more, maybe that's a thing to where you are. Uh, seeing more that more language being tossed around to where everybody's kind of on the same page, but you know down here, you know it's still the the left edge or uh, hold two tenths off the left edge. It's not even off a of center. You hear people talking. It's not even like hey, it's a half mil hold from center. It's the what they tell you is two tenths off the left edge. Well, right. plus three tenths of the half of the plate. And there's your half mil hold, you know. So, but yet, if you get a guy shooting a a six five Creedmoor, and then you ask a guy shooting a six SLR or something, that's not the same wind call, you know. No, it's, it's not. And they call the easy- for a power, then that's all right. If everyone knows how that correlates to their bullet and their cartridge, uh, then they can, oh, okay, cool. And then they can just do the quick math in their head, and they've got an accurate wind call, assuming it's the same. Right. Well, and every gun's a little bit different. We all know that. So mm-hmm. it, it comes down to if you look at 600 yards and you put your wind at a 90 degree angle, how many miles per hour does it take to push my bullet one tenth per hundred yard? Mm-hmm. And you find that and you keep messing with the wind. OK, well, six miles an hour didn't work. How about five? How about four? How about ten? How about eight? And you leave that data on your Kestrel to where if you're looking at 600 yards, it says six tenths. The math doesn't get simpler than that. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. And I've been I, I say I've been I, I've been utilizing it as far as figuring it out what mile an hour gun my rifle is, with that cartridge or whatever. But I can't say I've been putting it to to practice or put it to use because of the differences like in topography and stuff here, like just for an example, um, like at, and I've talked to you about this months ago. Um, you know, I've at frontline defense where I shoot the majority of my matches because it's so close. Why not? Um, and it's an awesome facility. Uh, it, you can't, it, it's hard to, to be able to use that method simply because the, you have so many variables as far as if I'm standing at the firing position, my wind is, is dead in my face. Okay, great. But if you go down and look through a through binos or a spot and scope, if there's 
a flat. A lot of times there's even wind flags down there, like like little like caution ribbon or whatever, the little right. orange ribbon, and it's standing up, you know, dead right to left. Well, so the wind at me is a lot different from wind at the target. And then there's also times, same thing, where there's nothing at you at all. Like you could smoke that cigarette right there and the and the smoke come right into your face. It doesn't even move. But yet everyone's holding, you know, half a mil off the plate down a distance. So it's like you can't get a nominal number at what the mile an hour, what the speed is of the wind. And at yourself, you're having to use more of like what you're really good at, which is judging wind through the spotter down at down range. That's one of your things that you're, you know, exceptional, exceptionally good at is calling that wind at the target. Right. And so, cause if you think about it, like in most firing positions at frontline defense, you have lanes of trees. You know, this whole range was all at one time was a forest basically. And lanes, like big wide lanes were cut, but only to about 300 yards from the firing position. Then after that, it's all open, right? So wind is doing something way different down there than it is because the way we all know wind moves like water. It funnels and flows like a creek would, you know, like a, a winding creek. Well, wind is the same thing. And it just blows completely different down there to where... Also, you could see I, I mentioned this in one of my one of the episodes that it was the hot wash episode. Uh, just for an example, like I told you, I was RO and shooting that match. So I'm all, I was on glass the entire day. One one stage in particular, the, the further it was a, a 300, a 400 and a 500. There are one MOA targets at each rank at each distance. And you had to hit them twice, move the next one to the next one, and then move a complete position over, shoot whatever at the 500 yard target. The dust from off the plate, so the lead core of the bullet exploding on that steel plate, the dust coming off that plate would literally blow from dead right to left like there was a big vacuum sucking it like, from its that direction, right, from the left. But guess what? Everybody was holding left edge and getting hits. So right. you would be like, oh, if you held left edge, you're, you're blowing way off the target if you looked at that, right, Or and the mirage. The mirage, everything was going right to left. Everybody was holding left and getting hits. So how do you apply that? And I'm, I'm not asking you because I don't even know you can apply that. But when you're in a, you in can a place. Apply that. I, can, I can give you some insight. Yeah, please, because I, I am still fucking lambasted. I have no idea of, of how to apply a first hit. If no one else was out there and it was just you and you had that one MOA target at 500 yards. And you saw the the wind indicators that we were all seeing and all agreeing on, all 12 of us in the squad, and then getting that first round impact. And then when you shoot and you miss and you see, holy shit, I blew off the right side. How is that possible? You know, how do you then not blow off the right side when you're using those wind indicators to get that first round impact? So, well, getting a, a first round impact in any situation is is extremely tough, dude. And sure. I think I, I think it mostly comes down to um, like the mentality of if I can get a hit in three shots, I'm good. If I can get a hit in two shots, that's fantastic. Sure. All I'm trying to do is increase my first round impact ratio. So it. It's more or less like so in that kind of situation, like you just laid out for me, what I would do 
is reverse engineer the wind and say, okay, well, it looks like well, just, you know, for shits and giggles, it, it's, you know, we're shooting a 500 yard target and I think the wind's blowing five miles an hour on a five mile an hour gun. I would say, okay, well, you're going to hold five tenths on the right side, five tenths to center, right. hold right. And then we shoot and it's like one mil off to the right. I'm like, okay, I need to reverse engineer it. Now the wind to me, I'm going to say, okay, well, the wind is coming from the opposite direction at like 15 miles an hour. I really just fucked up that wind call, right? So I would pretend that everything that I'm shooting at, even though I feel it coming from the right, I would say, well, down, down there, that is a 15 mile an hour left wind. So check your data. And now we can start getting those first round impacts. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it, it's more or less like. You're using you're using that as a tool. Uh, yeah, but with the, with the math that I'm using, yeah, with the math that I'm using, I'm just going okay. Well, this is what it's acting like, regardless of what direction it's coming from. I don't really care. So if it's a five mile an hour that's coming from the two o'clock, I may have to treat it like a ninety degree three mile an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so that. That, that's that's all I'm really doing is I'm looking at it. Okay. Well. You know, it took three tenths to hit a 300-yard target at, you know, you know, uh, five miles an hour. Okay, perfect. I got a five-mile-an-hour gun, three tenths. And if that wind stays constant, then I know I'm going to use a five-mile-an-hour target or a five-mile-an-hour wind on a 500-yard target. Hold five tenths, and I should hit. Yeah. So that that's that, that's really what it comes down to is just being able to, you know, look at that, see it. And obviously be a little, you know, be climatized. And I tell that to everybody who wants to, you know, be on the spotting scope. I'm like, well, what are you, you know, what are you doing on the spotting scope? You're controlling the shooter, basically. So at that point, we need to go, okay, well, this is what it looks like. And I need to climatize myself. I need to feel what the wind is doing because I'm feeling for changes. My shooter is probably crawled inside of his scope and fell asleep at this point. You know, he's not feeling it. I'm feeling something different because I'm standing at a higher level than he is. He's maybe prone on the ground or something. And I'm standing up because I need to move from shooter to shooter. So it's more or less me just going, okay, well, he hit um, like the first gun's a six creed. Okay, well, he needs like, you know, seven miles an hour of wind to push his bullet one tenth per hundred yard at a 90 degree angle. Well, you know, this guy's the next guy is shooting a 308. So he needs, you know, four miles an hour of wind to push his bullet one tenth per target or per hundred yard. So if I can, if I can just go, okay, well, it's a five mile an hour wind. That guy's got a, you know, four mile an hour gun. We're just going to add a couple more tenths to his wind call and send it. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you're, you're basically, you're using it. You're using the method in a different manner to, to achieve a different goal. So in a normal case, you would, you're using the method to then get your first round impact where in this situation, the, the, the variables and the environment is not cooperating. So you're then using the method to use it. You're using it as a tool to reverse engineer to then find your correction from the data that you've gotten from your first miss. Right. Yeah. Cause that first, that miss is going to tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, it's so, going to tell you exactly what's going on downrange. And if you can translate that and, you know, make it make sense in your head, 
it'll allow you to be a little more dynamic. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Yep. Oh man, that's some good wind talk. What is going on in Colorado right now with this oh. whole shit? It's all locked down. They just issued the order today. They're like, all right, everything is locked down. Uh, it's it's crazy, man. All the people who uh, you know who are not big fans, people who aren't big fans of guns, are out trying to buy guns. And there's like twelve thousand people in the queue. I mean, it, it's like a five day wait. Everything's all jacked up. People are panic buying and just being crazy. And if I I swear to God, if I hear someone ask me for a clip one more time, I'm gonna freak the fuck out. <laughs> Well, hey, look, they, what, what's the, the statistic out now that is it what 70, 80 percent of these people buying guns now are all 70 uh, percent of our first gun owners? Like this is their first firearm they're purchasing. It, it's some crazy number like that. And it could be. I have no idea. I, like where they get that statistic. Who, who knows? There's nobody standing out front of our gun shop going like, hey, are you a first time buyer or something like that? And just gathering data. So, I mean, it's hard to tell, but you can tell just by, you know, the way people act, the way they, you know, like they're not familiar with the firearm. And it's, I'm not there to teach them how to safely handle a firearm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you, you, you walk a fine line when it comes to that. It's like, look, I don't think this guy needs a gun. And you can, re, you know, you can refuse business if you want to. Um, it's, you know, it's about being... Yeah, that saying gun shops do some people, they they very well exercise that right as an FFL uh, in in refusing, you know, sales. So responsibility, you know, you have to take responsibility for your actions at some point, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's some type of metric in the Knicks checks, how they can figure out whether they're maybe they're getting those statistics from the ATF or something like that. Maybe, I don't know. I, it honestly, it sounds believable because if you think about it, me and you aren't going and buying guns right now. Why? Because we've been doing that shit for years. We've got plenty of guns. Right. (laughs) I don't need, if I get a gun now, it's because I got a, I found a deal on one I've been wanting. Right. It's, you know, not because a, a, a purchase of necessity, you know, it's because it is because it's something I want to add to my collection that I'm getting a good deal on it. And no, believe me, right now, no one's getting good deals on shit. So, yeah. And, you know, I think part of that is is, uh, you know, if you work in a gun shop and you're listening to this, um, part of that is kind of advising that person like, look, you know, whatever money that you're going to spend on panic buying ammo, you need to invest that into training instead. I mean, like 150 bucks, go take a class, dude, go take a pistol class. And, you know, you can be one of the 1% of well-armed Americans that are out there willing to defend themselves and their family and other people, you know, against bad people. But you need to, you know, that that person needs to take that responsibility seriously as well. You know, us selling the gun, but, you know, I'll sell somebody a new gun. And the next question is, who's going to train you? And then I give them a name of somebody who is a well-known trainer. And I say, hey, take this guy's card and go up and take his class. I'll give him a call. I'll get you a good deal. But you need to get trained on this. Yeah. And that doesn't include a, a concealed carry class, because I'll be honest with you. When I took mine, I didn't learn a motherfucking thing. I learned what, like, legal shit, but that even that went out the window because literally the next year they t- passed the Castle Doctrine in North Carolina, and that completely changed the laws 
in uh, is regarding using the uh, using your concealed uh, weapon. So I really didn't learn anything with a dam. I just put the class to be able to get my concealed carry permit and roll with it. But uh, yeah, no, there's a difference in a concealed carry class and a training class. In the training class, what everyone should be the responsible person and take and 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 learn if you haven't been proficient in firearms for quite some time previous. If you're not proficient, you need the training. You need it. You and know, what they need to do is they need to get over it. It's like <clears throat> a lot of times it's fear, you know, like, oh, it's a firearm. It's going to, you know, it's designed to kill people, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you need to get over the, the fear of the whole thing. And you need to turn the fear into respect and respect the firearm, respect safety and respect all those laws, you know. It, but you need to respect yourself as well, because like, let's God forbid you have to burn some motherfucker down, right? There is going to be a lot of legal stuff involved around that. And when you're involved in a legal, you know, uh, <clears throat> in, a, in a legal situation, that is the only thing going on in your life at that time. Yeah, a righteous shooting. You know, if you're in a righteous shooting, I'm telling oh, you, you're still you go- going. Yeah, you're going to court. <laughs> <laughs> your life's about to change big time. Like not Forever. only not only the the mental ramifications of literally ending a motherfucker, you know, even if it's a legitimate, I like to feel that if I was in a situation where this person said person was, was going to harm me or my family, especially my family. But if I like to feel that if I smoke check this motherfucker, that I'm going to sleep like a fucking baby. I, 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 you, you can feel that way all you want, but until it happens to you, you don't know. And I've been in a more than, believe it or not, more than one situation to where I literally had a finger on the trigger and thank God I didn't have to use it. And, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's not, oh man, I can't wait. And I hope a motherfucker come, man, shut the fuck up. That's the most ignorant shit you could say. You do not want to be in that situation at all. I hope hey, the only thing that I'm firearms at are steel, paper, and critters. You know, that's four-legged critters. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to ever be in that situation, but you need to know the whole reason of you buying that firearm is in case of that very uh, possible situation. And so you need to do yourself and make yourself as just as much of a weapon as that firearm you just purchased. By that, go take a goddamn class. Yeah, go take a class because you may not go out looking for a fight, but a fight may find you. Absolutely. Yeah, don't. You better not go looking for a fight because you will fry for that. They will. They will. Believe me, those those lawyers are good enough. They will fucking fry you. If it looks like you put yourself in any type of situation that was very unnecessary, even if you were, quote unquote, in the right, it was self-defense. You met you let a, a uh, fucking lawyer figure out that you were doing something like the whole Andrew Zimmerman shit. Right. That's some that that motherfucker should have never talked to Trayvon Martin. He should have never even he, look, if he had a problem, call the cop. Let him handle it. Don't be some fucking hero, dude. When you no, nah, it's he didn't need to be in that situation. Now, if dude was sitting here beating his head in the concrete, if someone beat my head in the concrete, I'm I'm gonna shoot him. 
But oh, you should really? you should never been in that situation to begin with. You went looking for that shit. That's what he yeah, did. Walk away. Walk the fuck away. Go home. Be with your family, dog. Because look, he went to jail for a little while. He got to go to court. His name has been. He will not be able to go buy a stick of bubble gum without someone knowing who the fuck he is and not having a good taste in the mouth about him. You don't want to be that guy. Stay out of the news. Stay out of the courtroom. Stay out of the jail. Like you don't put yourself in a situation. But you got people out there like him that would. And that's the scary thing. But the way I look at that is, you know what? People are like, why do you want to bust it? Why do you support guns? Well, because you know what? I feel that if that guy, that guy has the right to have that firearm, if he ever so is inclined to use that firearm in a manner that is unsuited then I hope anybody else around them also has one to there to correct it. You know what I'm saying? I hope he ain't the only motherfucker with a gun. That's what I'm saying. You know, (laughs) it's, it's crazy, man. And the funny thing is right now, what's going on is apparently now, I don't know if this is right wing news. That's kind of taking liberties with the, uh, the, I guess the tone of the situation, but it seems that, it's coming out that a lot of these gun, these new gun owners for during this coronavirus shit are liberal anti-gun cucks. And they're finally like, holy shit, the police are not locking these people up in Philadelphia. They are not locking these people up if I get robbed, if I get carjacked, if I get someone breaking my house. They're not going to come arrest these guys. I better defend myself. Well, no fucking shit. Enter the whole uh, SpongeBob meme where he's like, do do do, you know, all, all that shit. That's that's where that means no fucking shit, retard, you know. And that's what we've been trying to tell. Do not rely on anybody else for your well-being. Do not rely on anybody else for your or your family's safety. It is your responsibility for your safety and your family's safety. Yeah, take care of yourself, take care of your family, and do the right thing. Be responsible. Be a responsible gun owner. Be safe, man. I mean, just get just get some training. Dump a little bit of money into training, man. If you're thinking about getting a, a thousand dollar piece or something like that, like honestly, a thousand dollars, okay, we'll take ten percent of that. <laughs> get a, get a Glock and go take a class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get a five hundred dollar Glock and take a class. That's what you need to do. Right. But, I mean. You have people that want to go and they're maybe they've got a couple guns, but they want to go spend on the money on a Gucci Glock when they don't know how to shoot the factory when they got. Right. Uh, but look, I'm saying that as a person that's not a very good pistol shooter. I'm not. You give me a rifle, give me a, a, a bolt rifle, give me a carbine, I'm fine. Pistol, I don't shoot it enough. I shoot pistol, but I don't shoot it enough. I'm not as good as I want to be. Now I'm safe with one, and I'm if don't you don't run up on me because you're gonna get smoke checked, but. Uh, as far as, you know, any type of real, I need to get better with shooting pistols. So I'm in that boat. I'm talking about myself. I need to go out there. I would like to go shoot, take a pistol course with uh, uh, multiple guys that, you know, uh, uh, was it Tony Cowden or um, a, a bunch of guys, a bunch of former, you know, SF or or uh, recon guys that, you know, really fucking gangster with a damn pistol. I'd love to take their courses. And I, I need to do that. I'm going to, but you know, it's but take a say at least bare minimum new gunner, take a damn safety course. Jesus, that way you're not one of my best friends, my buddy Steven, 
him and his roommate were, they were living in a house and Steven was sitting on his bed, like with his laptop in his lap, like just playing around on Facebook or something. And all of a sudden, boom, in the house. And Steven's like, what the fuck was that? And then he said he felt his shirt was wet and he put his hand on his chest and there was blood all over his shirt. He's like, what the fuck is that? He had no idea that he had just gotten shot. His roommate, dumbass motherfucker, two rooms over, was cleaning his AR, which that's always, always cleaning my bullshit you were cleaning. He was dicking around, didn't notice he had one in the pipe, and the damn AR went off. He had a two, uh, uh, he had a 55-grain full metal jacket go through three walls in his back and out his chest, clipped his lung. He had a deflated lung, missed his heart by like three millimeters, and could have died. He walked to the ambulance. Steve was a hard-ass motherfucker. He walked to the damn ambulance. And with a damn 223 to the chest, dude. I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, that motherfucker didn't know what he was doing. And he should never, he should never, that should never happen. I mean, that's a negligent discharge. It's negligent because that's exactly, it's not accidental. It's negligent. I mean, that's one thing that, like, uh, um, uh, is, is preached down there at Rifles Only. Jacob don't play around. He's like, there's no such thing as an accidental discharge. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's negligent. It's negligent. That's a that means you were you you either you're a dumbass or you're lazy or you didn't care. It's one of those three. You're either a dumb fuck, you're lazy, or you just didn't give a shit. That's negligence. You know, oh, yeah. that should be that should be the Webster's dictionary uh definition of negligence. It's those three things. Because that's what happens. When that shit happens, it's negligent. It was not an accident that that, that gun went off and hit Steven. It was 100% due to that dumbass motherfucker. Well, it's, you know, taking a class. I promise you that dude never took a class. So, I mean, you need to know what proper safety, um, uh, safety um, weapons manipulation. What's the first thing you do? Point the barrel in a safe direction. Check the chamber. Check it. Stick a finger in there. I don't give a shit. Check the damn right. chamber. Yeah, yeah, just but be safe, man. It, it's it's all about being safe, you know. But um, so I want to hear your opinion. Changing gears a little bit, I want your opinion because mine has. I don't know if it's changed or if I just don't know what my opinion is. But the whole coronavirus, uh, because right now it's consuming everybody's life, whether you're sick or you're not, whether you've got it or you don't got it. It's consuming your life in one way, shape, or form. What it is? What, what is your? I don't know. Your take on the whole matter, as far as what is it? Uh, what's going on with it? Meaning, I'm talking about from local to you, all the way to the top to worldwide. Well, I mean, like you said earlier, you're an opinionated guy. So am I. What, what's your opinion on what's going on? Okay, and then this has got to be the last subject. One, my phone's running out of uh, <laughs> battery because we're doing a video chat. Um, with uh, with the coronavirus, like, I don't know, man. It's <clears throat> it's something I think that is is blown out of proportion to a degree. Um, and that being said, like, I can I, I try to put myself in the shoes of you know both sides of it, and you know, that way I can develop an opinion for myself. And I think that 
<clears throat> I think one, it's been blown out of proportion, man. We've had worse, you know, worse stuff out there that people didn't give two shits about. Um, you know, yeah. is it killing people? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, it, it's a real thing. So I guess, you know, if, if there is a chance that you could get it transmitted to somebody that it's going to hurt, you know, maim, kill or anything like that, why not take a little extra precaution and just keep yourself clean and, you know, you know, be careful of who you interact with. But I think we've kind of taken it to a whole new level. And, and honestly, <clears throat> I think that as we watch events unfold, this is now it's become the norm. So don't be surprised if you see this like two or three times a year now, because it's, you know, this is how, okay, well, this is how we got rid of Corona. So this is how we're going to get rid of, you know, the next, you know, global killer and the next global killer. And it's going to be a lot of, you know, social distancing is going to be like every other word that someone says at this point. And mm -hmm. even asking like, you know, talking to law enforcement, what's that? It's going to be SOP. It's going to mean that's exactly what it's going to be. It's your standard operating procedure. It's it's going to be the first go to. Hey, we've seen this before. We need to do this and lockdown, shut down, four hundred one ks and all this shit. That's what's going on. Is that your phone, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, but, I was going. To, I mean, we're at we're at a, an hour seventeen. Well, we're going. To, we're going to mean you're going to do another one. Um, I was going to get into uh, our Air Force careers. And since we come from the same fraternity, same, yeah, same frat house, <laughs> the same frat house. So uh, we'll we'll get into that one another episode, and we'll do an, uh, uh, the Chronicles of of Minchaka part two on the Just <laughs> FX podcast. But, right but look, man, I appreciate you coming on. So, I mean, it was literally short notice. I called you ten minutes, fifteen minutes before this mm -hmm. shit got started, and I, I appreciate you coming on. I'm really hoping this is not going to be like the first lost episode of the Just Seven Senate podcast. Uh, this is all new to me right now for the listeners. I, we are on Skype on our phones and I'm recording it. I can see it's recording. Transmit translating this over to the Podbean app. That's going to going to take some fucking MIT shit. Now, I'm not good at, it, but I'm gonna try my best to make it happen. But Mike, I appreciate you coming on. You're the first honorary guest. I told you you were going to be. And uh, I wouldn't have anybody else on as the first guest. And uh, I, once again, I appreciate the big shout out. I did get a bump in some downloads and some follows after that episode that you gave me a shout out on. No, I, I think what you got going on is great, man. It's it's an easy conversation. It's, you know, conversations that we have on a daily basis. And um, for others to be a part of that conversation, I, I, I think it's important. You know, we bring up some good points. We fuck around and use bad language and everything like that. But at the same time, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of undertones and, and a lot of good information to guys who are just getting into this stuff. And that's really what it's about. It's about mentoring the next generation of shooters. And, you know, being able to do that, you know, just by voice, you know, to transmit across the world, you know, to people who actually give a fuck about this stuff. Um, I, I think it's a huge thing. And I, and I totally support what you're doing, man. You're doing a great job. I appreciate it, man. I, when I first started this thing, I was like, man, I'm, no one's going to want to give a damn. Listen to me. And it's, I've actually gotten a lot of love and I love all the comments and the private messages and the 
comments on Instagram and the text messages. And it's been, it's actually, so it surprised me and humbled me. I didn't realize that this many people were going to enjoy listening to my retarded ass all the time, especially when I'm by myself recording. And it's just, uh, it's crazy. Um, and, and very, very, uh, much appreciated and, uh, and unexpected. Believe me, I didn't expect this to take off at all. I'm like right at, 25 and some change 100 downloads which that's peanuts to the everyday sniper but given who i am which is nobody versus two known figures in the industry of you and frank it's uh i i still feel good about it i'm i'm real happy with uh the progress so far i just wanted to grow and and hope that i'm i'm helping somebody out and, and people are enjoying it. even if you're a better shooter and i've got nothing to teach you if you get some laughs that's what I'm all about. Um, I'm, you know, all it's all time on joke time. So that's, that's, you know, one of the, the bigger, you know, goals in my mind with this podcast. You know, it, it's not about, you know, not being a name, you know, like there's <clears throat> that who cares about that. It's your journey with precision rifle, your journey with firearms, you know, where you stepped off the line and you're like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and, you know, whether I get negative feedback or positive feedback, you know, you're going to have to have broad shoulders for that kind of stuff. I get people that are like, man, this Mike motherfucker, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And that's and that's great. You know, take it with a grain of salt and move on. But all you're doing is presenting somebody, you know, a story of, you know, your progression in in firearms and precision rifle. And I think that goes a long way because this is the fastest growing sport in America. Um, people are trying to, they've, they've gone forward. They've gone backwards. They've gone, you know, fast, they've gone slow. They've gone light. They've gone heavy. They're trying to take, you know, a small little six millimeter diameter bullet and put it on a, you know, 1400 yard target, you know, I mean, they're doing things that, you know, a lot of them are like, man, this is physically impossible for me to do. And they do it and they get an instant gratification from it. And, you know, to share your side of it, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are experiencing exactly what you're experiencing. And how did you overcome it? How did I get past that step? How did I get past that plateau? And I think that, you know, it means a lot. And, you know, there's there's people out there. They won't say anything about it. They'll listen and they won't comment. But they're listening for a reason. They're listening because, yeah, dude, I've been in those shoes. I know I have to be able to progress. And the more information that we have the better off we're going to be, but it's the application of that information that is going to push them the extra distance. And I think, you know, with all the podcasts that are out there, um, all the precision rifle podcasts, all the gun podcasts, there's some that are like, eh, okay, whatever. And you listen to a few and you're just like, okay, maybe the guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe he doesn't. And you know, that's, but he's sharing his experience. And I think that there's still stuff to learn from that. Oh, yeah. And look, and, and that's the thing that I I said since day one is, you know, everything you just said, you nailed. But the other token of that is if you've already experienced and got, you know, the, a better mousetrap of how to get over the hump that maybe I may be on with whatever given subject, I'm listening to you. I, you know, I, I'm listening to the listeners. Hey, if you send me a message, comment, hey, this would work for me. I, I'm willing to learn from. I don't feel that I have just things to teach or to tell, but I have things to listen to and to learn. And that's what I, you know, I'm also willing to do as well. I'm not going to sit here and, and try to big league anybody. You know, I want to, 
if there's Joe Blow listener who's a better shooter than I am, that they figured out whatever is something I brought up, please, by all means, tell me what it is. You know, I'm always searching. I'm always looking to learn. And the, I think in the same way with dogs, the day you feel like you're not learning, the day a day you spend with a working dog is the day you need to hang up the leash because you're, you're no longer going to progress if you don't learn something, you know? And it's the same with shooting. It's you learn, be that sponge of that kid that we were talking about, be that sponge and, and but also be a filter as well. Be able to fill, be a sponge, but be a filter. Learn. You need to, it, over time, you'll learn like, eh, that doesn't sound right. That don't jive. And then you could probably bounce that off of somebody that is of a, a, a higher level than you are and see how they, how they take it, what they think. You're like, all right, you know what? I'm not even going to listen to that because that's, that's bullshit, you know, because there's plenty of bullshitters and snake oil salesmen out there. Yeah, and you can usually weed those dudes out in the first 30 seconds of the conversation. You're like, oh, you took a two, two, three out to a mile? Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's evaluate. Tell me a little bit about that gun. Oh, well, you know, some Army high altitude cliff snipers jumping out of helicopters taught me how to do this, that, and the other thing. Oh, okay. 16 inch barrel. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, there's, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit out there. And, and, it is what it is. And everybody wants to tell their story. It's just tell your story accurately. You know, don't, don't try to embellish it. Yeah. Yes. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, old Tony Montana said, at the end of the day, all you have is your word. That's right. So, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. In your balls. Don't forget those. Um, but anyway, look, we're going to do this again. We'll, uh, and hopefully next time we can maybe get it on a better app and via computer and, and all that stuff. And boy, this is all impromptu stuff. And, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, and contributing and, and your your own your name on the your name on the uh, the episode titles only going to bring in more listeners. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that, dude. And uh, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Like I said, and everybody out there listening, um, you know, I always say this. I, I appreciate you know a- any feedback you guys have, and I always appreciate you guys listening. We're just two dudes talking about guns, man. Yeah, and everything else that we would if we were sitting there knocking back cold beers together. So that's another aspect that I like about the podcast. It ain't just rifle, it's life. It's the, it's li- the life of rifle men, right? right. So anyway, I'll uh, let me stop recording here. I appreciate everybody. Hold on a sec, Mike. Peace.